I got a house and it's left in my will. There's more to it than that to avoid additional court costs, tying it up in probate, and also kind of what the final disposition is at the end. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. It's the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart and myself talking investing, finance, and retirement. And we're going to talk about some common housing questions for or from retirees this go around. Because, Mike, this leads into my uh, kind of a headline I wanted to kick it off with as well. So it's kind of synergistic. Uh, the Fed obviously ticked up the rates uh, in March. They're talking about doing it another three, four, five, six times throughout this year. One report even said maybe even a couple into next year to combat the inflation issues. But that also has ripple effects through a lot of other things. What's going on here? Yeah, the biggest issue with the Fed right now is they're pointing to inflation as to why they're raising interest rates, right? So the mandate on, on the Fed is, you know, make sure to keep unemployment low, mm-hmm. also keep full employment, as well as make sure that that the economy itself doesn't overheat. So that's why they will typically raise interest rates to slow down an overheated economy. The problem that we're going through right now, though, is that we don't have an overheated economy. We actually have an economy that is gradually slowing. It is still healthy, but it's coming out of all the stimulus and all those kind of things. Right. So the the issue about the Fed raising interest rates, it's not going to fix why we have inflation. We have inflation now because labor costs are sky high. Everybody's paying 10, 20% more you know, for labor. Uh, we have inflation because of supply chain issues that people just can't get the parts to make the widgets that they make. And it's slowing everything down. You see empty shelves at the grocery store. We have business owner clients that say, hey, we've, you know, we've got great orders, but we don't have the parts in order to fulfill those orders. So the earnings of a lot of companies are coming down. Revenue is good, but the earnings are coming down. So why that's problematic for the Fed is you know, they're trying to get ahead of things saying, okay, we want to get rates up before the next recession or bear market so then they can cut rates thereafter. Okay, but ah. if they raise them too aggressively, the problem is they may actually force us into recession because they're going to slow the economy too fast. Another wow. side effect of that is going to be real estate, right? It's been a great run the last couple of years for real estate. A lot in a lot of markets, it's up 20, 30, 40% plus on values because interest rates, you know, if you go back six months, you could have got a two and a half, three percent 30 year mortgage. As the date we're recording this, 30-year mortgages now for you know really good credit are still about 4.7%, and they're going to just keep climbing. So the same person that could buy that house at 3% can't buy it at 5%. You know, the interest rate's too high as far as you know how much it would cost them in order to do that. What does that do to real estate prices? Well, if late rates are low and people can afford more house, then people can list their house for more money. So it pushes real estate prices up. When interest rates go up and people can't afford as much house, then real estate prices come down. You know, so it doesn't mean that real estate's going to crash. It just means that, you know, could we see some pressure over the next year or two on kind of these gains in real estate and pull back another 10 or 15%? Yeah, that would seem kind of normal just given the real estate environment and interest rate environment we're going in. So the Fed's walking a tightrope on this on trying to maintain inflation at a lower level and get that down, but for the wrong reasons. And it's going to have an impact on the real estate market and stock market as well. I was literally thinking that when you said walking a tightrope, I was getting ready to say the same thing. It's like they have a real fine line they've got to handle, don't they? Mm-hmm. They, they do, because typically they're raising interest rates because the economy's booming. 
you know, the job market is booming and there's there's all these reasons why they said, hey, we got to slow this train down. It's kind of like pulling the reins in on a, on a horse a little bit, but that's not where we are. You know, yeah. we're starting at 0% interest rates. We're starting at high inflation already, but not for the reasons of overheated economy. We're starting at full employment right now. There's more people looking for work than there are jobs available. So there's all these things that are going on and the Fed and the market's near all-time highs, even with the recent pullbacks. So the thing is, you know, they're they're starting it at a time they've never done this before. Yeah, it's like, hmm, I wonder what caused that. I wonder what caused this interesting. (laughs) Keeping rates too low for too long, right? Yeah, I wonder what caused this interesting phenomenon where maybe a pandemic, maybe, (laughs) maybe stimulus. Yeah. So, yeah, we've we've gotten ourselves into quite the pickle. So with that conversation being said, it it leads me into our our full chat today, which is about these common housing questions. And the first one I really kind of did have was around with interest rates still currently being low. Are you seeing retirees or pre-retirees even saying, hey, you know, should I, you know, since my rate is low, should I pay the house off as little as possible because I'm not paying a lot of money back on what I've borrowed? Or should I just go ahead and just offload it and get rid of it? You know, get rid of the house payment and the note. Yeah. And that's where even, you know, you know, from all the years we've been doing the podcast and that, that, you know, are we start off with retirement income when we do our retirement planning? How much income do we need in retirement? So if we're carrying that mortgage, even at a low interest rate, it still means we're sending money to the bank every month, you know, for in the form of interest. So take a look at that interest rate and say, okay, you know, can we reasonably without taking a whole lot of risk, you know, make more than that net of taxes on our money? And if so, then yeah, maybe we keep the mortgage or something if cash flow allows. If all of a sudden we look at, and let's say we're paying, you know, 5% on the interest rate or home equity line or something like that, then we say, okay, well, reasonably, how much risk do I have to take to do better than that, significantly better than that? And is it worth it? Or would it be better off cash flow wise of just taking a little bit of money, paying off that, you know, $60,000, $100,000, $200,000 mortgage? And then now all I have is really property taxes and maintenance on that. So now it, from a cash flow perspective, I'm in a better position. Okay. Well, since you mentioned it, I'm going to jump around on my list then because you mentioned an equity line. So I'll just go to that. Is a home equity line a good place to borrow from for like maybe the home upgrade? So if you're thinking about this again from a retiree standpoint or a pre-retiree, like even myself, Mike, I've got a number of years to go, but I, you know, each year I'm trying to do things to the house uh, to make sure that it's prepared for when we get older. You know, those little kinds of things. Is a home equity line a good place to look at that? Yeah, you you can. That's a function of interest rates again. You know, so so as the Fed's embarking on raising interest rates, then of course the home equity uh, rates they they bump up accordingly because usually those aren't set; those you know adjust with the Fed policy. So what happens? It goes back to cash flow again. It goes back to tax deduction. You know, with the standard deduction doubling back in 2017 uh, under the Trump tax cuts and the TCGA, what's happened is most people can't even write off their mortgage anymore, their property taxes. You know, including home equity line interest. We're used to be able to itemize that off and at least get a tax deduction for it. So when you look at a home equity line, you know, if you're you know taking fifty thousand dollars out to do a fifty thousand dollar improvement in your house, it's kind of a lateral move because yes, now you go fifty grand in debt, but at the same time, your home's worth hopefully at least fifty thousand dollars more. So net worth wise, it's kind of the same on there. So it really comes down to, you know, we encourage clients to plan for those ahead of time. We kind of build them into the plan so they can either know that we've got a milestone out there on when and where they can take that money from, or we've built it in their cash flow where they know that, okay, if I have to do that, I've got X amount of extra income coming in that's going to be able to pay for that. Okay. So it's like we've been doing this for a while, you and I, because I was just thinking again, the same thing. I was like, is this like, my follow-up question would be, is this something we, if we are planning for, let's say as a pre-retiree, 
then we don't necessarily have to borrow the money, right? We can kind of get this stuff. Um, a lot of times people kind of confuse the emergency fund with that major purchase fund into retirement, kind of saying, oh, well, I've got an emergency fund. Well, yeah, that's if the roof flew off, not the roof is 25 years old and we need to plan to <laughs> replace it, right? No, exactly. Yeah. So the way we look at it, we you know we'll we'll go through we'll put that financial plan together. We'll start out and say, okay, what's your sleep at night? Your your emergency number money. So you know, let's say hey, it's twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, whatever it is. You know, just doesn't matter what it's earning. They just need it to know that it's there because it just makes them more comfortable with the rest of their plan. And then the next thing is, okay, over the next six to twenty four months, do we have any major purchases coming up? Mm-hmm. You know, pay cash for a car? Do we need to replace that roof? We've got a wedding coming up, you know, traveling across the country, an Alaskan cruise, whatever it happens to be. Great. Let's set aside that money too. Why? Because we don't want to put any risk to that money because we know there's a defined amount that we need at a certain period of time. So yeah, we want to earn a better rate of return, but you know, it's not going in the stock market. And then what's left is, okay, now that's our longer term money. You know, so that's to your point is, you know, you have your emergency money, then you have your, I know these expenses are coming up. And if I don't even know when they're coming up, then, you know, on a good kind of project management way, we'll go out and say, okay, well, let's just put a placeholder in there in five years or in 10 years, we're going to replace those vehicles, or we're going to need a new roof on the house or something. So at least we've accounted for that expense at some point in the future. It doesn't come as a big surprise. Okay. All right. Well, we're doing these common housing questions for or from retirees. Um, another one that pops up a lot, Mike, is the signing the house over to the kids deal, right? So I'm worried about a, I've been diagnosed or there's a long-term event or the family has a history or whatever it might be, but people want to know, is it something that's worthwhile doing to sign it over to the kids? Yeah, this is something. So, you know, one of the big components, we have an entire meeting around just this alone is the estate planning side of it. You know, so one of them is the health care, talking about how we'd pay long-term care and those things, but that bridges right into the estate planning. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things you need to know, because we hear it a lot. It's And this this really applies whether it's putting your kids on your bank account as joint, in, in this case, signing over what's possibly your largest asset, which is your home. On here is one rule you need to know is there's a five-year look back. So the five-year look back means five years after you do it, if anything happens to you where you require you know, financial assistance for long-term care, they can reverse that and take that back like you never did it because they're saying you're doing it because if it happened within five years, even if it wasn't intentional, yeah. then you did it to try to you know not pay your medical bills, essentially. Um, so the biggest pro on signing over the house to the kids is one, let's get you past that five years. And guess what? You know, you went to nursing home, you know, you, you went through most of your assets, but not your home. So the kids got that because it's in their name now. So yes, that's going to avoid nursing home spend down because you don't own that asset and you haven't owned it for at least five years. So I guess that kind of accomplished what you're trying to do. But let me give you three cons of it. And because these are the things that people don't consider. One is what happens if the kids get in trouble? You know, if they're driving down the street and they rear in somebody at a light and that person gets hurt. What happens if they have credit issues? What happens if they get sued? The thing is that's the kid's asset now, not yours. You may be, you may have gifted it to them or signed it over to them, but now you can lose it right out from underneath you. And that's the place that you live. Why? Because the kids got in trouble because it's considered their asset. Yeah. The second thing is cost basis. Cost, you know, without getting too wonky on a tax side of it, when you have a real asset like a house, let's say you paid $100,000 for that house, now you signed it over to the kids, your cost basis transfers over as well, which means when they go to sell it, they owe all the taxes on the gains over the years. So if you paid $100,000 and they pay and it's worth $400 now, if you were to die with it in your name, then they would inherit a cost basis of $400, so they wouldn't owe any income taxes on those gains. 
But by transferring it to them, now they're on the hook for $300,000 of taxable gains. So you've transferred them the tax bill. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So because it was a gift, essentially, right, by signing it over to them. So your cost basis goes with that as well, which can cause a huge tax issue. And the third and last one is that you also, you know, when people say, oh, I don't want the nursing home to take my house. I get it completely. Right. You want to leave something, leave a legacy. The third aspect, the con, though, is if you do that, that means you're destitute. Right. You spend all your other money. And then you no longer have the value of the house, which means you also lost control over the quality of care that you can get. You're making yourself eligible for Medicaid. So the state gets to determine what facility you go into, where it's located, quality of care. We've seen in our tax oh, practice wow. where people have gone onto Medicaid and you know they get shipped five hours south into Southern Illinois away from family, friends, so too far away from people to come visit. Is that really what you were trying to accomplish? So, you know, where I would put that about should you sign your house over your kids or so, you know, with all those kind of caveats is if you want to leave your kids something, either have a really good financial plan that doesn't have you spend through principal and accounts for long-term care, you know, either through insurance or some other kind of things, or use life insurance. Go out and get a life insurance policy that says, hey, I want to leave my four kids, $250,000 each. Okay, go out and get a million dollar life insurance policy. And then if you spend through everything and the nursing home takes everything, they don't take the life insurance policy. So there's other ways to do it other than the easy way is to sign over the house, but there's all these other implications associated with it. Wow, really great information and certainly something that can be eye-opening for a lot of people when thinking about that. So good stuff indeed. Um, Since we're on the house and the estate plan and the kids, any complications, other complications you want to share with us, Mike, when it comes to creating around the house, when it comes to creating the estate plan? Like for me, it's fairly simple. I got one kid, so I don't see a complication, (laughs) but somebody's got two or three, especially three. You you can't divide a house into three. (laughs) So what what do you do, right? You technically can't divide it in two. Well, that's right? true too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so when you go through, and that's a great point. It's a good one to build on the last one. So let's say, you know, for, for you and your wife, the house is just in your name, right? And then you've got a will out there that says, okay, my daughter's going to, you know, get the house. Uh, and the second of us passes. Now, one of you passes, I always kill off the husband first. So you predecease your wife. Your wife lives a much longer, healthier life. And then she passes away. And then you're saying, okay, that's good. The house is going to go to my daughter. But wait. What's going to happen is the house is going to go to probate. And then after probate costs and court fees and attorney costs and things, yes, your your daughter will get that house. But after, you know, if it's a $400,000 house, after about a $40,000 haircut, because it did go to probate. So how you avoid that is if you have a living trust, if you need it and you have a living trust, the house is owned by the trust, you and your wife are the trustees. So in the event that you were to pass, the trust just says the house goes to your daughter. Boom. So it's, it's all good and clean. If you don't need a trust, then you use something called a transfer on death deed. And it's just in Illinois, it's just a couple page document you file with the county and it names a beneficiary on the home. So when the second of you pass between you and your wife, your daughter would then just go to the county, show them the death certificate, and then they would redeed the house in her name, avoids probate, doesn't need an attorney, and it's all smooth. So there's little nuances like that. And the other one that you mentioned was that, you know, how do you split a home? What if, you know, we've seen many times one of the kids, maybe they were helping out with the parent, you know, towards the end. Sure. So they were they were staying with them. And now all of a sudden, you know, say there's two kids. There's two kids and one lit one lives in the home. And the, and the other one doesn't, the other one's doing something else. And now all of a sudden, you know, mom dies or something, they leave the house equally to the two kids. And they, the one who doesn't live there wants to sell it 
The yeah, other one I don't want it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you do? Right. So these are the little nuances of it's not as easy as saying, OK, well, I got a house and you're, it's left in my will. There's more to it than that to avoid additional court costs, tying it up in probate, and also kind of what the final disposition is at the end. And we need to not be naive as parents as well and truly know our, our kids and say, you know, because there's so many people, well, my kids, they would never fight over those things afterwards. It's like, come on, don't don't be naive. Money does things, weird things to people. Just get it all laid out ahead of time and then eliminate some of those potential family arguments so that you don't have that because you just never know what's going to happen. You never yeah, know how someone's going to feel. Yeah. And I've been a financial planner for 22 years and, and I tell clients this, you know, when they tell me how great their kids and how well they get along uh, and, you know, in, in most of them will share stories with me of their families and things and fighting mm-hmm. over money. But when it comes to family and money, not even when you're living, because we see issues with that as well. Yeah. But when someone passes, people get crazy. They you know, do. The, 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 and it's the people you never even thought would be that way. <laughs> True. They become petty. And it's just, you know, so document, 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 yeah. just to make sure that your wishes are honored and that you don't wind up having siblings lose relationships over something that could have been decided ahead of time. Okay. Well, great conversation. Uh, one more here, Liz, at least one more, and then we'll get into maybe an email. Uh, reverse mortgages, kind of like annuities. They've had a bad rep in a, for a long time. They've made a lot of changes, Mike. Are, are they a bad idea or is it just, again, another tool? Yeah, it's just another tool. It really depends on why you would need a reverse mortgage. We have a couple clients that you know that have them, and I've talked them through the process. We didn't sell them to them. We don't sell reverse mortgages, but we'll refer them out to somebody that if they do need it. So reverse mortgage is really good for somebody that either isn't worried about their estate on the back end as far as a legacy or you know not leaving it to kids and things like that. It's also good for somebody that's very asset light. For whatever reason, they don't have a lot of assets, but they want to stay in the home that they're in right now. But maybe the cost of being in that home because of either a mortgage, property taxes or something are very high, then it allows them to stay in that home. And then you know if there's nothing left at the end, they at least got to stay in their home until the end. For somebody that has a lot of assets or a lot of income, or wants that home to be part of the estate, well, then it, then more times than not, a reverse mortgage may sound good on the surface, but when you go into the weeds, it really doesn't make sense. So, you know, as much as we love Tom Selleck and Magnum PI and that, just don't be enamored <laughs> by the mustache, right? So hey, get the facts before signing on the dotted line. That's a fantastic mustache, though. Just saying. It is. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump out. We'll take some email. We'll take a email question, I guess, as we wrap this thing up. So, again, if you've got questions about uh, the home and, and how things are changing and what's going on with uh, the rates and things of that nature and you need some help or you don't have a strategy in place for your retirement, definitely reach out to Mike and get that retirement success blueprint underway. CrystalLakeTax.com. That's CrystalLakeTax.com. And drop us an email. And speaking of, let's go ahead and take an email question here from Tracy in Barrington. And she says, oh, she says, Mike, I tend to cry anytime I talk about money. I don't really know why. That's just how I've always been. I'm worried that I'm going to end up working till I'm 80 because I'm too scared to sit down, put together a plan for retirement. How do you help people that are a head case like me? Tracy, I guess I would start by saying that you're not alone. I can't tell you over the last two decades plus when I've had men and women and couples sitting here at my conference table, just bursting out in tears and they don't even know why they'll apologize. They'll, you know, grab the Kleenex and they'll come over and they're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. And and what it is, is realistic. And, and I'm sure everybody out there has had this happen at some point in their life is you're influenced either consciously or subconsciously by how you feel about money, by how you grew up, you know, things that occurred, you know, you saw an uncle or an aunt that 
you know, um, went through financial hardship. Your parents never really had money. You struggled. And then now all of a sudden you're sitting in front of me and you might have a million, $2 million. And you, you know, consciously, you know, you're going to be fine. You know, you just need a good plan in place so you don't screw it up. But instead what happens is you're sitting there and be like, I don't want to end up like this. I don't want to, I'm worried about this. And what happens is you live a just in case retirement, right? Everything is reactionary. And I'm not going to put that plan together. I'm not going to spend this money to go on vacation. I'm not going to do these things because you're so worried and so overwhelmed. And what I do is when we go through our planning process, I give you permission to feel that way, you know, and just, and let it out because, but then I get to show you why that's not applicable to you. I get to show you where your income's coming from. I get to show you that if you or one of you or both of you needed long-term care, how would you pay for it? So it's not going to devastate your finances. Like maybe it did for your mom or your dad or someone else. So, you know, so Tracy, you know, don't, you know, keep crying about it if you, if you want to, but understand that it comes out of things that just your upbringing in general, and it's healthy to get that out because now you know why you feel that way. You can kind of work through it a little bit. You know, it's almost like a little therapy session. You know, I say it almost every, every couple of weeks on the podcast is half the time I'm a financial planner, half the time I'm a behavioral counselor. And that's okay because the goal is to make you comfortable, you know, give you that confidence that you know, you're going to be okay over time. Yeah. Great question. Money causes stress and stress does weird things to us. So great question. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for your time as always here on the podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like, again, you can subscribe to it. You can find all the information at Mike's website, crystallaketax.com. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartStitcher, so on and so forth. Crystallaketax.com is his website. That's where you can find everything you need uh, to reach out to Mike or to check out the podcast. Catch past episodes. We're on the, this is number 96. So we've been doing this for a while so there's definitely lots that you could go back and listen to as well as uh, check out new ones when they come out as well mike thanks for hanging out my friend appreciate it good content and i look forward to talking to you in may all right take care mark we'll see you next time here on the retirement success blueprint with michael stewart Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.